Welcome to Unbooking the Tank, Atari, the bonus series from Unbooking the Territory, where we look at the ups and downs of the in-ring career of Tank Abbott. This week, Tank Abbott faces Fit Finlay. I'm going to give you the chance of a lifetime there, Doug Dillinger. I'll let you come out here and take a shot on me. Wait till he finds out what's behind door number one. Something down the road at the Silverdome in six playing to an empty house. Because the real deal is here. Oh, here he comes. Get that fat duck ass out here. I'll tell you something, Mike. He's not done yet. This man, Tank Abbott, is making a name for himself. So how are you this week, Dan? Doing very well, mate. Doing very well. Lot, uh, lot more uh, happy, bright, and sunny than I was last time we uh, we recorded together. When I was uh, feeling a little bit ropey after my birthday, but I'm uh, I'm back on the horse and back on the beer. How are you? <laughs> bright and sunny. It looks like you're uh, sat in uh, a dark kitchen with the fridge door open as lighting, <laughs> like staring into the fridge longingly. That that is my kitchen behind me, not the fridge. Um, I'm sat enough. on my dining room table. I know a bloke who has a smart fridge, so he can see at any time what he's got in the fridge, but there, there is a flaw with this, because he can only see what's at the front of the fridge. <laughs> what, so do you have, like, cameras set up in it, then? Yeah, it is. he buys all these sort of Kickstarter things, and, you know, he's really into having uh, all the new stuff. So, yeah, yeah, he's got a... Uh, uh, a smart fridge where you can you can see what you've got in there, but yeah, I'm I'm not, I'm not convinced of the usefulness of it personally. Unless it's got a drone that brings me beer, I don't want it. Yeah, yeah, that that, that would be convenient. So, are you drinking, Dan? I am. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm on one of the ones that you uh, kindly sent me for my birthday. It's the uh, Varvar and Atom collaboration, single stranded, which is a Kavik New England IPA at seven point two, and it's another one you've knocked out of the park. It's a lovely drop. Yeah. Yeah, well, but we just chose them at random, so um, there was no thought. Well, I guess there's a little bit of educated uh, guessing going in, but but no, no actual thought um, of um, you know what what you'd like or whatever, because you always take your your life in your hands with uh, craft ale, don't you? You do, but it's it's the lack of thought that counts. <laughs> well, I, well, to say that I haven't had them, uh, just uh, um, I, pro- I probably should have done the uh, a mirror order or whatever, just so I could, uh, yeah. I'm drinking Suspended in Azaka from Siren Brewery. It's a hazy pale ale, um, and that's 4%, as it's a school night, so I'm not trying to keep it low. If anyone's wanting to get something that's a bit higher percent, they can log on to uh, Tartarus Beers, put in the promo code UTTPODCAST15 and get 15% off some quality high percentage uh, beer. You can indeed. It's uh, I've got a few Tartarus in my fridge. But it's not a school night for me, thankfully. But uh, I'm still easing myself back into uh, drinking after the uh, after the birthday shenanigans. I'm a bit gun shy, so no Tartarus for me tonight. Maybe on Friday. Yeah, superb. So this match that we're going to review today is from the Thunder that aired on the 22nd of March 2000, and on commentary there was Bobby Heenan and Mike Tanay. It actually starts out with the Tank Abbott segment, which we'll come on to later. But then we get um, a, a brawl between Sid and Hogan backstage. Hogan has five very small square plasters on his head. Yeah, what was that all about? I don't know. Did you spot Ed Ferrara sat in the uh, background eating a sandwich when they were brawling? No, I'm pretty sure my mind's trained to like just tune out all Ed Ferrara. 
Yeah, fair enough, but uh, we didn't get a bit of a, uh, a cameo there, so good old Oklahoma. Finlay's uh, in the ring cutting a promo after his match with uh, Tank Abbott, but he gets interrupted by Sid and Hogan that brawl to the ringside. Finlay pushes Sid, and Sid chokeslams him. Yeah, and it actually wasn't a bad uh, little promo from uh, from Finlay that they interrupted. It was a touch on the, uh, you know, the 80 shouty side of things, but... It was, it was calling Tank Abbott Green as a tree frog was uh, was pretty was a pretty good line. Yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought it was all right. I mean, he's always been decent, Finley, but he's maybe not had the mainstream opportunities. You know, it's uh, perhaps mm. always been in the mid card in WCW and WWE. But yeah, I mean, he's got that classic promo in um, ITV Wrestling where he's got a uh, a full length poster of Big Daddy that he drop kicks. I've never seen that, and nor was I aware of it. Yeah, well, it, it's uh, you know, if you, want, if you want to get back into the eighties wrestling, then that's one to uh, to check out. We get footage of Sid asking Hogan not to interfere uncensored, and Hogan interfering uh, as he does want to do. And then through the night, we're going to get um, WCW wrestlers weighing in on the Hogan Sid scenario. Buff Bagwell's criticising Sid turning on Hogan. He's saying you don't turn your back on a tag team partner. Yeah, I get, I get that. I get that from Bagwell, but this is after this is played right after we've seen Sid say exactly why he's pissed off at Hogan, and it's because Hogan will not keep his R out. Basically, he's there constantly interfering, just turning up and stealing the spotlight. Hogan must pose, interrupting press conferences and all the other stuff, and yet then they air that it's completely backward. Yeah. Hogan is not coming across as a likable face in, in this rivalry. I know they've turned Sid heel, but yeah. Although maybe he doesn't deserve quite what Dustin Rhodes has him has planned for him because uh, Dustin Rhodes calls Hogan out. He says he's another of the vampires in uh, WCW and he threatens him with amputation. Wow, I didn't get to actually watch this promo, but that's uh, that's definitely a turn. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Hogan's upset that everyone's after him uh, and he's watching TV backstage with uh, Jimmy Hart at this point uh, and just complaining the world's again him. And then we get into the first match. It's uh, three count versus the Young Dragons, which I'm I'm sure we'll uh, become very well accustomed to in future episodes of Unbooking the Tankatari. We certainly will. They're going to crop up now and again, aren't they? Yeah, this combination, definitely. I think it's a decent match, uh, this one. The Dragons actually end up stealing three counts dance circles after the match, running down the aisle with a dance circle under an arm. They're rotten bastards, how dare they? I know. Mean Jean's interviewing Hard Knocks Chris Candito. Chris Candito's claiming that he had a handicap match against Lou Fez and Frank Gotch. I actually watched this uh, promo, I went out my way to watch it. He talked a lot of shit. He does, uh, Mean Jean's uh, questioning the validity of it. Then um, Hugh Morris is weighing in on the Sid Hogan debate. He said that uh, Sid's going to get the last laugh and does his humorous laugh. Yeah, that was a thing. But then we get favorite. Uh, then we get um, favorites of the show, the Artist and Paisley show backstage. Yeah, we do. And there's going to be a match between Chris Candito and Chavo Guerrero, and Paisley's going to be on commentary. Yeah, it was really nice to see her come out, uh, come out and do a bit of commentary. Because um, we've said before how great we think uh, we think Paisley is. I think 
this is actually her best work rather than as Shyamal later on in WWE. Yeah, and we've just got the news this week that she's going into the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah, and the first thing I thought was a take on one of your favourite sayings, Shyamal's good, but she's no Paisley. Yeah. No, I mean, well, I, I guess they, they put them in for gimmicks now, although it is the person, um, you know, they, they put the late Scott Hall in as Razor Ramon, didn't they, rather than Scott Hall. But, um, yeah, they did. You know, so I think it's for the whole, the body of the work uh, entirely. But, you know, we, we've been massive fans of, uh, of Paisley and her work with the artist, definitely. And she's out there scouting for the artist's. And uh, during the match, Paisley distracts the ref and the artist attacks Chris Scandito. And, you know, Mike Tanay is speculating that this is how he's going to arrange who, who was his uh, number one contender by taking out the people he doesn't want to fight. Yeah, and I thought that was a really clever twist because they were, they were grilling Paisley, say, basically saying that she was talking shit. Saying, well, how is he going to dictate? How is he going to work this out? And then the penny drops and it's just a real nice little moment. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed this um, whole segment, really. Cut to backstage, and Scott Steiner is lifting weights, but they're not weights. It's the um, NWO girls pushing down on the weight bar rather than any weights, so maybe it was an ill-equipped gym. <laughs> yeah, it was um, It was a very odd sort of thing, but exactly the type of thing you'd expect to see Steiner doing. Yeah, Bobby Heenan says it brings a whole new meaning to the phrase free weights. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what innuendo he was trying to make, but there was definitely one there. Well, he didn't have to pay for weight, so he's always been, uh, you know, watch the uh, sense and the dolls will look after themselves kind of guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we get the debut of the revamped Los Fabioso with uh, Miss Hancock. Oh, I have a Silver King in the fridge as well. I was going to drink it when we did this. Go get it. Wow. Well, no, we'll, we'll power we'll power on through. I'll, I'll save it for next time he's on the show. <laughs> it's the second time you've done this. You'll never drink that Silver King. I know, I won't. I won't. From Osset Brewery. So Silver King and El Dandy have been repackaged. They look like a couple of Power Rangers with glitter in the hair. As the crowd, um, as the crowd start telling them. Yeah, ch- chanting Go Go Power Rangers, which is uh, quite a good chant for an American crowd. It is, yeah. Yeah, somewhere through they were saying uh, Miss Hancock was on commentary, which is again great to have that sort of rotating third voice talking about. I think she was referring to the Los Fabulosos as you know the sexiest Latinos, you know, going or something like that. And then Tanae drops a Ricky Martin reference, which is just so timely for for when this was, you know, sort of year two thousand. Ricky Martin was was just everywhere, even over here. But it was. Uh, yeah, nice little reference that I enjoyed. It was it was a pretty short match, which was mainly just for Miss Hancock to turn on uh, to turn on excess. But yeah, Los Fabulosos did did nothing for me really. They were decent enough in the ring, but the look of them, the the Power Ranger ring gear, just not for me. But at least we got to see Miss Hancock. I have to admit to the listeners, while Dan was just talking there, I thought I will nip to the fridge and I will get the Osset Ale Silver King. And that's what you can hear pouring now. We're not, one of us just isn't having a wee. It's not bang bang. No, I'm bound to peer group pressure. <laughs> despite, despite the fact I mentioned it once. Yeah. I'm easily swayed, Dan. Easily swayed. So I'm currently drinking Silver King by Osset Brewery. Just while we've covered a Silver King match. So nice little tie in there. 
Yeah, but but next up, it's uh, it's the Mamelukes turning on Disco Inferno somewhat because Disco's ordering a pizza in Big Vito's name, but he's trying to claim he's sorting out a tag title shot, and they decide that they've had enough of his shit and they fuck him off into a match while they fuck off on a double date. I love that yeah. behaviour because fuck Disco Inferno. I mean, we did get that storyline on that uh, episode of Nitro that we reviewed right at the start of uh, season one of uh, UTT, where Ric Flair had got the Macho Man's credit card and was spending on it. So uh, it's a bit lower rent, isn't it, when you've got Big Vito's credit card? It's that storyline on which. Yes. But at least they're not uh, adding more to the uh, canonicity of Big Vito's sister's wedding, which has uh, already Very. become the most complicated story in WCW history. Very true. Next up, we get a pre-natural born thrillers Chuck Palumbo versus uh, Scott Steiner, who's got the... NWO girls with him. Uh, Plumbo actually gets more in in this match than you'd expect. Yeah, I'll be honest. Um, from this point, I didn't get to see, uh, I didn't see anything uh, of the episode. So, yeah, Bobby Heenan says he was surprised that Lieutenant Columbo lasted so long. <laughs> from anybody else, I'd grown at that line, but I bet Heenan delivered it pretty well. Yeah, it's just a shame he didn't do just one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I see next up we've got a Hennig promo where he's um, he's sort of down on Sid and, and not getting along with it. Yeah, he is. He's still there with his broken arm from the Lex Luger attack. And uh, he's saying that what Sid did was uncalled for. Um, although you can say that about a lot of wrestling, you know, I mean, when they went through the whole NWO thing and now they're complaining about this uh, little heel turn. Next, it's a match between Disco Inferno and Vampiro. Uh, before the match, Disco Inferno cuts a promo. He says he's a manager and a dancer, not a wrestler. And Mike Tanay said, I've been trying to tell people that for years. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still that today. Yeah. Vampiro ends up throwing Disco Inferno over the commentary desk and Bobby Heenan and Mike Tanay run for it. And we end up with a good portion of this match without commentary. That's a shame. Yeah, again, it, it was another match where Disco Inferno actually looked quite good at the start of the match, and then he just gets sort of caught with a move by the face. It seems to be the pattern of the Disco Inferno matches that we're seeing at this point. Well, as long as he's losing. Yeah, but the, he's not just losing as a job or sort of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, true. If, yeah, I'd much rather he just be getting squashed. Yeah, well, you would think that they'd set this whole story up for him to be squashed. I mean, uh, a squash probably would have been a, a more logical decision to put in, given mm. the, the situation they put him into. It kind of makes, you know, Vampiro is the one that's working from underneath rather than, you know, the scary guy that he's been booked in a match with uh, as we've been sold it by the Pisons. Yeah, they had, a big, uh, they had a big shout at him as well on the way out, didn't they, when they, when they were setting up the... Sh- the match and he calls them Mamelukes and the turn around and they go Paisans. <laughs> then um, Mean Gene's interviewing the cat. The cat has a new assistant. He, he needs someone to carry his hat and cape. And Curly Bill slash Vincent slash Shane slash Mike Jones is being repackaged as Mr. Jones, the cat's assistant. Oh Jesus Christ! He's like a, he's he's like a bad smell that just won't go away. Oh, uh, and he's, he's got a stupid hat now. So, In a sentence, I wish somebody had told to me during a, during a particularly awkward teenage phase, a hat doesn't equal a personality. 
<laughs> that out of personality. That'd be a CM Punk fan. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett says that he's going to cuff and stuff both. Good for him. He can still go fuck himself. So we get the uh, the cat out with Mr. Jones. He's facing the dog. He's married by Brian Nobbs. The dog knobbers are back. <laughs> dog knobbers. Yeah, Mike Jones looks completely fed up. Well, wouldn't you be? Yeah. You've been putting a, put a segment with the dog knobbers. Now, I think there is a reason that he should be happy because the, the dog comes out to Brian Nobbs' WCW theme. And at this point, and I wondered if this was a dub, and I don't think it is because I've gone back and, and checked. But Brian Nobbs' WCW theme at this time sounds very much like Mickey James's first WWE theme. Okay. Which is a bit weird when you sort of see the dog and uh, Brian Nobbs coming out and you're thinking. But that like sort of clapping sound like sound good. Yeah. That was really weird. Brian Nobbs hits the cats with the dog chain and only gets a two count. So, you know, we get a typical carny finish on this one where uh, the cat comes back and um, ends up winning the match. And finally, so, and finally, Mike Jones is successor Jason. Successor Jason, yeah. He hasn't been that since he left the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> <laughs> now, briefly in the NWO. Yeah. Mean Jeans with Norman Smiley. Norman Smiley's saying a week after being attacked is uh, needing someone to watch his back. So we'll, we'll have to see who that's going to be. Although it should be the Kiss Demon because they're in the Screaming Demons together. Uh, and the you next match so. next match is, in fact, the uh, Kiss Demon versus Humorous. And we get the sarcophagus and got a thunder entrance. Yeah, funnily enough, I've actually, uh, I've actually just put that one in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've relocated while we've been talking. I love that sarcophagus. Yeah, that's great. The demon doesn't get much in in this match, unfortunately, and humorous wins because you know why put over the guy that you're paying shitloads of money to have on the show and giving a badass entrance. Well, yeah, why? It's obviously more important to uh, to get a uh, to get a dig in at Bischoff than uh, than anything else. Yeah. Although I have just the thoughts just popped into my mind now that. Dale Torborg's been making appearances for Impact and Danhausen exists. I want them to be a tag team when Danhausen's back and ready to compete. Yeah, I could say that. I don't know if they'll fit in the sarcophagus. <laughs> it looked quite roomy. Well, possibly. Who knows? Or dare to be. Maybe Alistair Black used to like lift up as well, didn't he, when he was in um, WWE? I mean, he's not doing it now as Malachi Black or whatever, but um, yeah, he certainly had that uh, tilty entrance that the Kiss Demon uh, employs. Oh, God. They could join the House of Black. Right, the House of Black. So the, they've got Malachi Black and they've got Brody King from Ring of Honor. And... You know, they've just stapled on Buddy Matthews. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> the odd one out in this group. It's like, come on, guys, let's go to the gym. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, no, no, we're playing on our Ouija board. You know, it's like, let's take some protein shakes. No, we're drinking blood, <laughs> buddy. It's like, it's gotten... <laughs> yeah, it's a bit odd. Uh, yeah, I just don't get it. It's, it's a bit bit of a weird one. So, so Lord only knows. I mean, I wouldn't be so the rate they're going. I wouldn't be surprised if they put Norman Smiley in the group. Give us Demon Housing. 
Yeah. Demonhausen versus the House of Black. <laughs> Malachi Black and Norman Smiley. In Wrestle House. Yeah, doing, doing the big wiggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd like that. I'd, I'd prefer that to other current creative. <laughs> so then we get Brian Nobbs taking the dog for a ride and leaving him out in the countryside. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. The, yeah. the dog no, the dog knobbers have gone doggy. Yeah, spoiler for future, the dog does come back, so it doesn't help. We get a behind-the-scenes look at Buff Bagwell through the kid cam that's following him around again, and um, it's showing Buff giving his opinions on the um, Sid Hogan issue from earlier, and then it's showing uh, Buff hitting on the woman that was producing the segment. And if the kid cam would have been ten minutes earlier, you'd have seen Judy Bagwell giving him a back sack and crack. He probably well, he has to look his best if he's going to, uh, you know, hit on the production staff. Mean Gene's looking for Sid, but he's not in his dressing room. Mean uh, Gene has never found a single person when he's been backstage looking for somebody. He's just bullshitting. I swear, he's never ever found one person. I think rather than look for people, he's realised it's easier to stand in front of the same door and change the sign. Yeah. <laughs> he just picks one door per arena. Yeah. He doesn't even travel to shows. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same, it's the same like concrete corridor, like breeze block corridor in a, in a building down the road from him. It's like those old Royal Rumble adverts where those um, two guys were at the um, arena for months before the Rumble. <laughs> they were there because me and Gene was supposed to go pick them up. Yeah. We get a decent video package for the wall, so that, that was uh, that was quite good. Cool. Yeah. Hulk Hogan's doing his shouty 80s promo with me and Gene. Boring. Yeah. No, so um, the earlier segment, Brian Nobbs was saying that he was taking the dog for a ride. This is where we actually physically see uh, him abandoning the uh, dog in the middle of nowhere. The dog howls at the moon. And um, we get the road warrior pop from the crowd in the arena because uh, they're thinking the dog's not going to come back. <laughs> oh, poor dog. Yeah. Then we get um, Buff Bagwell versus Jeff Jarrett for the US title. Jarrett's the incumbent champion and Buff's over as all hell. The match was all right until, as I put in my notes, fucking Harris Brothers. Oh, so Jarrett wins then. Oh, it's a DQ win for uh, Buff Bagwell. Kurt Henning comes out and attacks the Harris Brothers. Buff does the blockbuster to Jarrett, but uh, Steiner comes out and uh, attacks Buff, and, and that's how they get the DQ. Uh, there's yes. a guitar shot to Hennig, and uh, a Steiner recliner to Buff. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty much every Jarrett match in this uh, this time period. Although we do get Bobby Heenan saying to Mike Tanae, listen up, slap announcer. Heenan almost makes that likeable. Yeah. Hogan asks Jimmy Hart to uh, go bring him a contract. He tells him to go find Bull Bush and sign him to a match with Sid. A little drawing back of the curtain here, um, Bull Bush being the executive producer of WCW at this point. Fair enough, a little bit of reality bleeding in, I suppose. That's that's making Hogan half interesting. Yeah. And then we get uh, Dustin Rhodes versus Hulk Hogan. Hogan's pyro scares him. <laughs> I'm literally, I've, that's literally just come on now I've just skipped ahead 
So hang on a minute, he's out on the ramp. He's doing his ear pose. So <laughs> he jumped out of his skin when that pyro went off. Yeah, he did. It's quite obvious that there's noise pipes in for Hogan during this match. They've tried to make him look a lot more over than he is. Dustin Rhodes tries to um, stop the Hulk Hogan hulking up um, comeback. Uh, he um, attacks uh, Hogan and he attacks the ref with a cowbell for reasons. Why not? Nick Patrick refuses to disqualify Dustin Rhodes and says there'll be a $10,000 fine if he doesn't get back into the ring. Uh, so he gets back in the ring to um, find the big boo and the leg drop. And uh, there's a, a bullshit carny finish to the match. I'm simply shocked. Yeah. Yeah, uh, on the big screen, you see Sid choke slap Jimmy Hart through a table. Sorry, I've just seen it here. There's Hogan's in the ring and he's fighting Dusty. He's going to the outside. It's all very. Hogan has never looked less cool. He's the full 80s red and yellow. He's jumped at his own pyro, not in a funny way like Super Eric in TNA. And somebody has a sign in the crowd that just says, End the misery. We've said about this creative period before being creatively bankrupt. I mean, the amount they were paying Hogan to be on these these shows, you know, and uh, they, they were not drawing the, the crowds or the pay-per-view buys or the eyes to the products um, that they had previously. It just, it just seems throwing good money after bad. Mm. Yeah, it really does. So before Fit Finley's going to get this match, Ed Ferrara, Terry Taylor and... Kevin Sullivan are going to log into LinkedIn and they're going to look at the characteristics that Fit Finlay might have that might make him an appropriate opponent for Tank Abbott. So Finlay is a third generation wrestler. I didn't know he was third generation. Yeah, he is, yeah. He debuts at 16 in 1974. His father's actually got a wrestling promotion um, that he debuts in and he works around Ireland and Northern Ireland until 78, until he signs for joint promotions. He's managed by his then-wife, Princess Paula. In 82, he beats Alan Kirby for the British Heavy Middleweight Championship. He goes on to beat Marty Jones for the World Heavy Middleweight Championship. Um, at that point, they already uh, sort of put a belt in above the British Middle Heavyweight Championship. And, and he goes on to wrestle all around the world, specifically um, in Japan, Germany, Austria, in 1996, he signs for WCW as the Belfast Bruiser. So, what year did you say he debuted? Was it 78? 74. 74. My God, yeah. so by the time this rolls around, he's already a 26-year veteran. Yeah. And he's yeah. 42 at this point. Yeah, and he's going to go on, on and have that career in WWE after this. That is madness. Yeah. He uh, has a feud with William Regal uh, when he first signs for WCW, and he's sort of in the TV title division between 97 and 98, and then in 99, they're going to sort of transition him over to the hardcore division. Didn't they? Um, didn't him and Regal have that, um, that parking lot brawl where it was like the circle of cars? Yes, they did, yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, there's another parking lot brawl where it's a multi-man match that is in, in WCW as well. Uh, I remember like Bam Bam and stuff and, and Hardcore Hack and whatever were in it. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one, but I've definitely seen the singles yeah. that they had. And it was, I've seen bit, quite a bit of that rather because I watched a load of 90, you know, that sort of early era WCW uh, back on the network and 
Yeah, I always liked it when them two, when them two fought. Yeah. So on the 16th of November 98, he signs a three-year contract with WCW for £250,000 a year. So at this point, you can get 2.6 Finleys for a Tank Abbott. And it's a hard choice, but I'd rather have a Tank Abbott. Yeah. So at the start of the show, Tank Abbott is on his way to the ring and he's looking pissed. And uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I love that that's just become a feature. Well, it's true, isn't it? Mike Sinead uh, again comes out with Here Comes the Tank rolling to the ring and, and says, looking back at some of his recent victims, and show highlights of him sparking out Doug Dillinger uncensored and the, the brawl with Meng on Nitro. And Tank Abbott gets on the microphone and he says, WCW, I want you to quit pussyfooting around, send out um, some competition. I'll take care of them um, quick, just like all the other guys. I was waiting for him to say, feed me more. And just prove that he laid the framework for Ryback. I always think it's funny, that PCW show around Christmas that Ryback was on and the crowd were chanting, feed the Ryback, let him know it's Christmas time. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that. Finley's music hits and Bobby Heenan says, Tank doesn't care who comes out. Uh, he doesn't care if I come out. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be an easy night for Tank if it was Bobby Heenan. It'd normally be some kind of body bag match or a weasel suit match or something with Bobby Heenan, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. <laughs> but yeah, then Finlay comes out, and I'm sure they go to a break because we cut back, and Tank's already counting Finlay in the corner. Or was it a crowd cut at that point? Yeah, well, there's a highlight package, isn't there? So they're showing um, highlights from Finlay's match against Vampiro Uncensored. Yeah. And then um, Finlay La Parker sort of thing. Then, then they, they come back, and as you say, is. is uh, match already started. Tank forces Finley into the corner and an elbow. Finley fights back by punching, and Finley takes Tank down to a knee. Um, yeah, Finley, Finley gets a hell of a lot of offense in this match. Yeah, Bobby Heenan says Finley's fought all over the world, and uh, Tank Abbott was um, suspended from the Ultimate Fight for being too tough. So you know, really hyping up sort of the rivalry between them. Um, Tank tries to push Finlay away, and but Tank's uh, on all fours, and um, Finlay's sort of laying punches into his back, and then rolls Tank over, and he's punching him in his face. Yeah, and there's a, there's a bit as well where Tank uh, he gets Tank in the uh, in the ropes, and he's like I said, going forearms across the face, grabs a sleeper, and it's I've written in my notes a bit. Fucking hell, he's doing well because yeah. again, even though even though Tank's got a loss to his name at this point, it was you know it was more of a lucky grab of a hold than anything else. And this is the, probably the most trouble we've seen him in, really. Yeah, I mean, he was in quite a lot of trouble in the big Al match. Uh, yes, Al, uh, yes, sorry, yeah. Um, but Al had, you know, taken his right arm out of the equation by tying the um, arms together with the belt. Yeah, this this is the most anybody who's not Jerry Flynn or Meng has stood toe-to-toe with Tank Abbott. Yeah. Yeah, without without shenanigans, sort of thing. Um, yeah, and it, it was even even to the point that Finley starts. Um, so the ref's breaking a hole. This tank's got his feet in the ropes. It's off that sleeper. And Finley intimidates the ref and turns into a big right. But he's not knocked out. He's still moving. Yeah, you can so see. So tank sort of half goes to walk away. And uh, yeah, he's not used to that. No, he's not. You can see Finlay's groggy on the floor, but certainly not out. And Bobby Heenan's saying that Finlay's done a hell of a lot better um, against Tank Abbott than most people have. 
And then sort of at this point, um, Tank's considering going home, but Meng's music hits. Yes, I was quite, even though I know this doesn't really go anywhere, I was really excited. <laughs> yeah. Because I, st- I, st- I still want to see him fight. It's a shame that Meng's muckied his ticket backstage uh, at this point and it won't be long for the company. But yeah, it it felt like this was what they were building to and it would have made sense to plow forward with it. But we're not going to get it. Yeah, it's a crying shame. Yeah. Basically, it's just a brawl on the outside at that point, isn't it? It's security trying and keep them apart. But I'm, uh, I'm classing that as a DQ win for Tank Abbott. Well, it is a DQ when it's tank ever. That's what's well, officially gone down in the record books as. Oh, uh, good. I'm right. <laughs> but, so tank is now 15-3-1 and because, you know, he got attacked by. Um, and, and to be fair, uh, as um, good a showing as Finlay had, he, he was in a very precarious position when that all happened. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah. I think it's just because I know it doesn't go anywhere. As excited as I got, I thought, I thought like, oh, wow, brilliant. And then it's like, oh, but this, we're not going to get a payoff. So I just felt a bit deflated by the end of it. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I guess this might be a feature of some of the creative directions of Tank Abbott going forward. But we, we will cross that bridge when we come to it. But security is there to try and pull them apart and they're sort of moving them along to the back as they, they keep sort of breaking out and getting to each other and then sort of separating. And um, then Tank decides it's time to go home. He's uh, obviously got to go back to that pay window that he loves so much. Yeah. Hang on, he's just realised, hang on, I can go get my money and then we can carry on fighting. Well, he's got to go get his money and uh, Meng's his drinking buddy, so, you know, happy times. Pay window, quick fight. Bar. Another little fight. More beer, bed. Yep. That's the Tank Abbott and Meng programme of fun at this point in WCW. So, yeah, that's the match over. As you say, a little bit of a weird one because Finley did get so much in. I don't know if that's because he was a vet and was directing what the match should be. Quite possibly, but it's also addressed in the um, uh, the promo after from uh, from Finley, where he's saying, you know, Gene's in the ring. He said he's never seen anyone rock Tank Abbott like that. And Finley says, you know, been wrestling a long time and Abbott's green as a tree frog. He needs respect for this business. And if I have to beat it into him, I will. And Finley says he, that our tank does not belong in WCW. So they're obviously the planet they see there for something going forward. Whether it pays off or not, we'll uh, we'll find out. Yeah, we cer- certainly will. So we've had some uh, either tank facts or tank-related uh, comments. So Danny at Scottish Juggalo said that Tank Abbott can get a stone out of blood. Yeah, this is true. It's a bit like in, uh, in X-Men 2 when Magneto gets that. That guard and says you've got too much iron in your blood. Tank can do that, but we can get the stones out. Yeah. We did pose a question, which either it'll be upcoming or already released at this point, um, an episode of the Morty and Fitch um, Top Bollocks podcast that we're going to appear on, where we're going to uh, do biscuit vision and go through everyone's favourite biscuits. Um, so we did pose the question, if Tank Abbott was about to punch you, what type of biscuit would you offer to um, avoid his fabled right hand? And my answer was a chocolate hobnob, because you want the toughest biscuit for the toughest man. Yeah, that's that's a good uh, good answer. I said he couldn't uh, bribe Tank Abbott, as he always takes the biscuit anyway. <laughs> I like that, yeah. Five nerds go at five nerds go, said a jammy dodger. It's, it's a solid choice. 
Kenny Casanova at um, Kenny Casanova said he'd offer him a sweet, buttery, cheesy one that they have at Red Lobster. I have heard about the uh, the Red Lobster cheese biscuits, which are to us are, are basically scones. Yeah, apparently absolutely delicious. So I'd, you could offer any one of them if you want as a bribe. King Pig Bladders at Pig Bladders said that there's only one wor- biscuit worthy of tank um, that would get him to stop, and that's a wagon wheel. And he actually posted a picture of a jammy wagon wheel, which is the best kind of wagon wheel. Is it really a biscuit? Well, he also said that if Tank Abbott was a biscuit, he'd be a McVissie's gold bar. That's a chocolate bar, not a biscuit. <laughs> well, we've got some serious rules going down for this biscuit vision, so I think both of those would be disqualified as individual rappers. <laughs> but I, we don't biscuit shame on this podcast. All biscuits are good, good biscuits, so we're taking them. The best kind of biscuits is lots of. Yeah. Danny at Scottish Juggalo said, without a doubt, it would be one of Deborah's cookies and uh, posted a picture of Deborah handing a big pile of cookies to uh, Mr. McMahon. Actually, I think Tank Abbott would actually go for one of Deborah's cookies because they're so terrible that you could use them as a weapon and that just gives Tank Abbott the chance to be more violent. That's a good good point. Sarah at Turd Ferguson said, a classic custard cream with a pot of tea and she qualified (laughs) that that would be Yorkshire tea. Yeah, fair enough. I can see that. I think uh, I think Sarah's maybe just uh, just hankering back for a bit of home life out there in Chicago. Yeah, Millwall Chris at Millwall Chris One said a Jaffa cake in the hope that it would confuse Tank Abbott because it's not a biscuit. Um, and, and he's right. Uh, although we did reply that McVitie's actually make a limit edition Jaffa biscuit exclusively for Tank Abbott. Yeah, I, I have heard that as well. I've not. I've never seen one. But I know they exist. Yeah. And we know they exist because they make them exclusively for Tank Abbott. Graham at Good Cop, Bad Cop posted a Tank Abbott meme from Despicable Me. He had Gru there with uh, one that said, Tank blew up, Tank blew up, Tank blew up. Tank did not blow up. No, Tank could never blow up. No, he'd never blow up. And Jimmy Evans, Jimmy Evans for real, just replied to that saying Tank, which, you know, fa- fair enough. Although, on um, the latest episode, uh, a time of recording of Good Cop, Bad Cop, we did pose some questions. I asked them, what would you rather fight? A um, Tank Abbott-sized Tank Abbott or a hundred duck-sized Roman Reigns? Uh, <laughs> Graham said that uh, as Tank Abbott's, you know, the strongest man that's ever lived, then he'd obviously take the Roman Reigns. Matt said that he'd challenge Tank Abbott to a pizza-eating contest. Matt would lose. Well, yeah, but he wouldn't get beaten up. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a win-win. He's got pizza and not dead. He'd lose and then get beaten up. Fair enough. So those are all the uh, hashtag tank facts slash tank-related content we've had in from the listeners. Uh, I've been frantically trying to think of a, a tank and biscuit combination word, and all I've got is tank skits. But that sounds like we've, it's skits involving Tank Abbott, which we're not doing yet. Which would be the greatest sitcom ever made? It would. Oh, I want that now. That reality TV opportunity missed. Well, they did talk about uh, making a WCW reality TV show where all the cruiserweights lived in the house together, and that was the reason they signed the likes of, you know, Shane Helms and Shannon Moore and stuff. So imagine if they'd lived in the house, but Tank Abbott had lived there too. What if Tank Abbott was that landlord? That'd be brilliant. 
He's, he's used all his WCW money. He's bought a massive house. He's got three counting on a load of people there just for the fuck of it. And he just randomly knocks people out whenever he feels like it. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. They have to do tasks and the loser of the task gets sparked out. <laughs> bush tank, bush tanker trials. <laughs> he jumps out of a bush and punches them. <laughs> We need that time machine. We need to go back and make this happen. Yeah, pitch it to um, TNT. <laughs> we'll, we'll get it. We'll get in Bischoff's ear one day. Well, one he's not there at that point, but yeah, one of the many times that Tank Abbott could have saved WCW. I know. I know. Yeah. It's just hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's it's a it's a brilliant and but terrible thing where it's just so obvious that if they'd have just had faith in Tank Abbott, they'd still be around today. Yeah, uh, and we say that unironically. So where can people find you, Dan? You can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually talking about wrestling that's six week, minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are minimum 25 years out of date. You can also find me on uh, the Doctor Who podcast with uh, Cy Powell. Uh, we're on Twitter at the, uh, the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D. One day I will get that right first time, but today is not the day. <laughs> You can also find myself and Rob on, uh, with Mags and James on the 90s Wrestling Podcast playlist on Primetime Conversations uh, YouTube channel and possibly the audio feeds. We're not quite sure how it's going to uh, going to be looking going forward at time recording, but we are on there looking at all the uh, the 90s pay-per-views month by month. Excellent. You can find me at UTT Rob. It's really more about the mutuals than it is about the followers, so absolutely more than happy to follow back. On the same channel that listen to this, you can hear the main podcast on Booking the Territory. Season 1, we looks at the highest and lowest TV-rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. And Season 2, we're looking at the first and last of wrestling, so pilots, finales, that kind of thing. On the same channel, you can hear the One Man's Meat podcast with Real Chris Bellis and Scottish Juggalo Danny, and they are going through uh, forgotten wrestlers, abandoned storylines, that kind of thing. It's really worth checking out. So the next match we're going to go to, we're going to go back to WCW Saturday night, and it's Tank Abbott versus Dave Burkhead. Can't wait. Excellent. Thank you for listening. WCW, I want you to quit the pussyfooting around and send me out some competition. Open challenge. Go on, send it out. I'll take care of it real quick. Just like all the other guys. Bring it on. Well, let's see who's going to step up to the plate. Well, you know, someone will. And you know, Tank Abbott doesn't care who comes out. Doesn't care if I come Ladies out. Ladies and gentlemen, making his... Oh, here comes Fit Finley. Oh, that's like having ten men come out. 